0: episode five this is chad and lamb is eating a potato chip so uh,
1: wow way to oust me on that one i'm gonna have another <laughs> one damn it
0: it's okay you're entitled to eat and that sounds sound, is that pringles are you eating pringles
1: uh no i'm eating barbecue ruffles actually
0: mm. it sounded like the little tupperware top on the pringles so obviously now i want pringles
1: oh uh, don't even talk to me about that
0: I knew eventually food would make it into the podcast. It's in almost every one of my vlogs. I knew eventually food would bleed into the podcast.
1: Yeah, I don't know what it is about the Pringle per se in particular that makes it so t- I mean, obviously the can's a part of it, the form factor, like, you know, every Pringle chip is essentially the same size and weight and density. So I think you're just practiced at eating them a certain way. Like i rest them on my tongue and then crush them around with my mouth, you <laughs> know what I mean? so.
0: I also think it's the crack factor of that salt. It seems like it is the most concentrated form of salt that you can buy.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, it hits your it bare the chip barely hits your tongue, and you're like, ah, yeah. Yeah,
1: it almost feels like you're being punched in the face by flavor.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, Lamb, <laughs> what's what's new with you this week? Let's do a little check in.
1: Oh crap! New with me? Um, I'm starting to kind of dive down your road of trying to figure out how to edit. Um, uh, videos, um, but in in a very Giovanni-esque slash Cruel's-esque kind of way. Um, in that I'm using primarily my phone to do it, um, which, by the way, once you get used to the interface, is shockingly easy. Right. Uh, and the quality of the videos is is deceptively good as well. Like there, are, I'm starting to question now how many videos that I've seen on YouTube uh, by people I actually like um, have been shot and edited entirely on phones.
0: It's like uh, once you once you build a Squarespace site and you see all the templates, every time you go to a website, you look at one, you go, "That's Squarespace."
1: Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like so, half of them. Yeah, and I'm starting to notice uh, similarities too. Yeah, so totally. Like even in the style of the slow mo, because of the the frame rates on the the iPhone sixes, um, there's a certain style to the slow mo that looks very unique to the iPhone. Yeah. And so now I'm starting to recognize that when I see it on uh, on various YouTube videos.
0: There's a there's no doubt that. Uh, Apple when it comes to the, the products that they make they I mean they're they're tanks of of functionality they work they, yeah. the, I mean the only reason that I moved from iMovie into Premiere was because there were certain things there's a certain line in in almost all Apple products cuz Apple products are made for that um, for the the majority right and they want to bring their whole goal is to bring innovative technology to a level where people can understand it with relatively little learning you know like apple products don't come with instruction booklets yeah they don't feel like they need to right so because of that there's always a certain line where okay i want to do this oh this program doesn't do that because it's beyond the capability of the average person beyond the needs of the average person sure so you know like i had a lot of trouble like with doing titles to look the way that I do in my vlogs with iMovie um, and you know the ones that I did I think uh, was it my first two it might have just been my first one I can't remember that did an iMovie looked identical to a video somebody else put up the same week and I'm like oh <laughs> there's 10 options both of us chose the same one yeah so the, I mean uh, when it comes to a premiere you know being backed by Adobe there's, a, there's obviously a lot more fonts because you're digging into, into Typekit. Sure, sure, sure. But there is no doubt about how awesome the things that they make are. And like anybody that's starting and wants to get into that stuff, mm-hmm. I can't think of any other place that you should start.
1: Yeah, I, I, and it's it's funny because you get so used to them being so easy and functional that um, like I, I remember how frustrated I was with iMovie, I, iMovie because it took me more than 10 minutes to figure it out. You know what I mean? And, and I, I realized in doing that that I'd gotten so used to how completely functional and logical um, Apple apps were that any learning curve was just frustrating. You know what I mean?
0: Exactly. Yeah, and I feel like sometimes I've, I've also had the problem where I'll go into one of their apps and it's so easy that it's difficult.
1: yeah that's a good point actually
0: like oh that was stupid simple why didn't i think to click on that icon oh i was busy looking at menus i feel like i I feel
1: like i had that experience a lot with drafts when i was using it at first like i just expected it to be as convoluted and difficult as microsoft word you know what i mean
0: you mean uh pages
1: or pages i'm sorry yeah um and the funny thing is like you and especially with with uh, actually um microsoft word is a good example um From one generation to the next, they changed their interface so much. Um, And you can can carry that over to the OS, too, as well. Going from, like, Windows 7 to Vista to 8 to 10, they were so vastly different from each other that the learning curve was just immensely frustrating.
0: The new one's pretty spectacular, though. They've really fixed a lot of those problems. I'd say even to the point where it seems like Apple is not plugging iWork at all anymore. They're not plugging their own apps anymore. I mean, I just saw... I think it was on the Apple website. When you buy an app, you can include a Office 365 uh, subscription with your MacBook. Sure. So, that, I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, there's a certain level of work that decades of dedication to those applications um, have afforded Microsoft that maybe Apple just doesn't have the resources for.
1: You know, what's funny is I I actually, it's tangent, but not really. Um, I was I was kind of, really scared of the idea of, of apps like um, Office being cloud-based um, or any of the Adobe apps like Photoshop or Illustrator being cloud-based. But I'm really starting to warm up to that now, um, now that I never have to, to run updates on my own or deal with compatibility issues or worry about patches being being applied in real time. I mean, it, it, the cloud-based stuff is actually really, really awesome.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I think in a way, um, maybe in a small way, it's like you know when refrigeration came around. Everybody was used to the Iceman coming and delivering that block of ice. And it was scary to imagine anything any other way. But the moment you had a refrigerator, you went, why would I have done it any other way? Wow.
1: You could have gone with so many different other analogies and you went as far back as (laughs) a refrigeration.
0: Because I'm older than I look.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but was there ever a point in your life when you had to deal with an Iceman coming around to your house?
0: Well, when I was in the Civil War... Uh,
1: <laughs> you look like you belong in the Civil War right now
0: There's a Hey, we, we haven't mentioned Tom Waits yet in this episode And we're just starting But there's a great story that Tom Waits tells on stage In one of his live uh, CDs About a soldier Who is wounded In the testicle <laughs> By a stray musket <laughs> A stray musket pellet And uh, he goes to the hospital um, You know, the field hospital And this nurse uh, had been hit by a pellet as well and ended up becoming pregnant. And it turned out that this pellet had pierced the man's testicle and embedded itself into this woman's womb and impregnated her. What? Can it be verified by science? No, because it's a really cool story. And I've seen it in other things, so the story does exist. Do I know whether it's true? I don't really care.
1: I'm just going to say that is one badass piece of sperm. Um, right? He was like
0: that one's just <laughs> holding on to that pellet with all it's got, you know, like <laughs> yeah. when you, when you got a butterfly on the windshield of your car and you accelerate that little sucker's just holding on as long as he can.
1: <laughs> well, uh, as for our, our pod, our, our podcast checklist, Tom Waits is now officially off of it.
0: Yeah. Um, yep. going back to Microsoft, um, since you brought up Microsoft and it does seem like we always start in the technology realm, which I guess we're, we're starting to develop a formula. Um, I watched for the first time in my life Microsoft Build Keynote.
1: Interesting, yeah.
0: And um, first, I will say, wow. Compared to the Apple, it's really boring. Uh-
1: <laughs> yeah, what? What? Actually, be- before you even go any further, what what led you to want to do that?
0: Um, I suppose um it was a deep-seated hope that all of the flaws in the way Windows 10 works on my surface would magically be revealed to uh, be solved in the next update at this keynote. <laughs> uh. And and probably a fascination to see. I mean, I'm always curious to see what direction companies are going because, I mean, just the contrast. We know where Apple's going. We've known where Apple's going for a very long time. Uh, mm-hmm. Microsoft, uh, it's been dependent upon who the CEO is. For example, with the, the current CEO, Satya, uh first of all he seems like a really cool dude but he's definitely steering the company in a different direction than everybody before him he's the one that drew them into this cloud-based thing going back to what you were saying about cloud-based so i'm i was curious to see how far they're going to push it you know and what are their plans with cortana obviously i'm always curious about the cortana thing because you and i talk about this you or ai thing all the time sure so there's, there's a lot of interesting things. So, but, but before I go into the few interesting things that were in this presentation, I think it's time for Lamb's predictions. What do you think Microsoft announced? Just have fun with it.
1: Wow. Uh, I actually have no God, I feel, I feel like I've been living in a cave for the last two weeks. I've missed both the big Microsoft announcement as well as the, the big Apple announcement. That's perfect.
0: Uh, It'll make this even more fun.
1: Um, I have a feeling that they announced, uh, God, um, I, I just more personal assistant stuff. Um, I, I'm assuming that the Cortana is a big part of that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe an update to Windows 10 that basically backrolls it to what it was eight months ago when it was awesome um, versus now <laughs> where it's just kind of awesome with really shitty parts that they haven't quite figured out yet, uh, I guess.
0: Right. Well, let me see. I guess you're kind of right. And uh, first of all, before I go even into the details, I want to say that there's one dude that they put on stage that has way more pizzazz than maybe (laughs) maybe a uh, announcer, not announcer, a presenter. At one of these at a developer conference, should I mean, the guy was working really hard. Give me some, make some noise, audience, make some noise. And it's a room full of tech people with laptops in front of them. Yeah. I mean, it never moved above a dull roar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but credit to the guy for pushing it. And you've, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to this, to a video. Hopefully, I can find just a clip of the video with him because his outfit is outstanding i almost want to I almost want to send you a text right now of the outfit so that you can see exactly what it is
1: did they go did they go um, slap chop on it and you know have them wear like the the microphone thing and all that kind of stuff
0: oh mm, uh, yeah they all they all had like the little you know the little white line that comes from the ear to the mouth those little tiny microphones yeah
1: yeah yeah mm-hmm.
0: um those okay.
1: are so the, by the way just just from a, an understanding of 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 That is completely unnecessary. Like, lapel mics are so small and so easy. That's purely for show.
0: (laughs) I know, it's funny. But, you know, I I guess uh, maybe in case somebody decides they need to run around stage, I think these are like the things that Madonna wears on stage or something so she can dance, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so obviously they're going to make Cortana smarter. You guessed that right. Everybody knew that was coming because if they, they don't make these AIs smarter, they're useless. Yep. And um, going back to something that you and I had talked about before, they talk a lot about um, context and mm-hmm. how important context is. Sure. I think that was that our first episode that we talked about that. And then
1: it trickled into the two episodes to follow that, but the, the core of it was in the first episode, yeah.
0: Yeah, so we predicted that one. Two points for us, one for me, one for you.
1: Yep, nice. Uh,
0: they're gonna, they talked a lot about bots and the importance of bots, which is essentially... The ugly word for, you know, Microsoft M and all these things that they're saying, you know, these bots, they're going to move bots into Skype. They're going to help people and open up the open up the extensibility to other people. Um, I mean, to be honest, a lot of the things that they announced are okay. (laughs) You know, um, one of the things that I found interesting, obviously, first of all, going back to the reason I watched it. Yes, there is a, a Windows 10 update coming. It was previously called Redstone. You know, um, now it's called Anniversary Update, uh, and they're bringing uh, basically when it it was really weird actually when they went through the features they really breezed through some stuff and um, I find it really strange how they didn't focus on it. I don't know if it's because they're not working properly yet or they okay. just <laughs> or they just don't have the. Uh, how would you say the th- theatricality that Apple does that they haven't perfected the presentation the way that Apple has
1: well it's got to be both I mean if you look at if you look at that, that Steve Jobs versus Bill Gates and sure neither of them are part of the companies anymore um, in any meaningful way. Um, but I mean, it, it speaks to the core of their personalities. Like Steve Gates was a pretty definable human being. Like you, you just said, Steve Gates. Yeah, I'm sorry, Steve Gates. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Steve just...
1: Jobs. Um, like I mean, you could you could pick that guy out of a crowd of a million. You know what I mean? Bill right. Gates. You, if you saw him at a tech conference, you'd have no idea it was freaking Bill Gates.
0: Oh, this is so weird. How this happens, man? How we we talk ourselves into things that I have written as possible things to talk about. <laughs> Um, I'm going to veer off into this topic because it's relevant right now. Remind me to go back to the Microsoft update. Will do. Um, I found a new show on Netflix called American Genius. Mm-hmm. I think it's American Genius. It might be American Geniuses. Um, and essentially, it's one of those shows that seem like they're kind of becoming in vogue right now where it's an information-based show. You know, It's essentially like a documentary-style show, but they put really high quality reenactments into it mm. so that um, when they're talking about, you know, this person did this, you're watching above history level production, you know, like history level. I mean, History Channel, uh, when they actually did the history would put pretty good. But I mean, these are I mean, they're not movie quality, but they're pretty darn good for reenactments. Definitely better than Unsolved Mysteries.
1: So better, better than the what I refer to the History Channel as, which is the Hitler Channel
0: yes yes okay. but, um
1: and also above drunk history i assume
0: yeah, well, i don't know if anything's above drunk history
1: drunk history is amazing sorry <laughs> <carry on. laughs> uh
0: so i've only watched one episode of it ironically what was the first episode as you would call it steve gates it's a uh, steve jobs versus steve uh versus bill gates oh wow and it's actually really fascinating because i mean being in the silicon valley we know this story sure And I learned things from this episode that I didn't know. Like, for example, did you know that uh, what year was I think it was in 1997 when Steve Jobs had just gone back to Apple and the company was tanking still at the same time, Bill Gates was being uh, harassed by the Justice Department for being a monopoly.
1: Yeah, I actually knew that. Did you
0: know about the phone call between the two men?
1: No, did not.
0: Yeah, so Steve Jobs called Bill Gates on the phone. This is the part I didn't know either. Called Bill Gates on the phone and said, Hey, how are you? Um, My company's tanking. You're about to get reamed by the Justice Department because you don't have competition. So uh, help me fix my company, and you'll have competition, and I'll have a better company. So Microsoft invested $150,000 into Apple. Huh. Uh, maybe it was 150 million. I might have. Yeah, wrote I was gonna number. say
1: 150,000 sounds like 10 MacBooks.
0: <laughs> I I, I might have wrote the number down wrong. Uh, yeah,
1: you're you're missing you're missing a few zeros there, dude.
0: They invested a boatload of money into Apple, and uh, which is the other thing that I learned, which I maybe should have pointed out first, was uh, actually I knew this, but it, I, it's the first time that I'd seen the coverage of these two, where somebody actually mentioned the fact that um, Bill Gates. Created Windows by stealing the operating system yep. from Apple, and it was the first it, time I'd seen it in wait, a it show.
1: stole it essentially from Xerox because Xerox was the first.
0: Yeah, but uh, so Xerox was the first, but not in the same context because sure. they weren't they weren't making personal computers. Yep. Um, so Bill, uh, Steve. Jeez, now I'm doing it. <laughs> Bill and Steve. Uh, so Steve. Brought it to the context, you know, he brought the mouse, he brought the uh, everything out of the textual based um, yeah. interface and he showed it to Bill Gates because at the time Bill Gates had created first had created a chip for business software for the Apple II, the um, and then started creating software after that when they when, when the companies had gotten a little bit further along. So there was a there was an active partnership between the companies. Microsoft was not involved in any way with anything that competed with anything that Apple did, and Steve Jobs showed this to him because they were friends, and then he went back and he said, "We need to make that, and we need to beat them to it," huh. and that's how we got Windows. Wow! So they hadn't talked forever, and that's why um, I believe it was nineteen ninety seven two. Excuse me. When at the Apple conference keynote uh in 97 uh steve jobs in the form of a satellite link brought bill gates onto the stage and everybody at the apple conference booed him wow because the competition between them was just i mean it was on the level of hatred and all of a sudden now they're partners (laughs) so great show check it out
1: yeah what's it called american genius
0: american genius the next one is the Wright Brothers, which I'm fascinated by.
1: Mm. Do we want to do we want to segue this into what we did at the end of the show last time and talk about what we're reading, watching, and listening to? Or do De- we want to just save that?
0: Definitely. But um, I want to tell you a few more things about um, what Microsoft released and hear your reactions. Gotcha. So uh, Microsoft is investing heavily, obviously, into the HoloLens, which is their v- virtual reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, i saw kind of a um a representation of it obviously it's not the same because i didn't have the hololens on what are your what are your thoughts on moving into vr
1: well i mean i've seen so many different versions of it both done really well and done no not, no i've never seen it done really well actually i take that back i've seen it done absolutely terribly um and i've seen it done mediocrely um There is a couple of augmented reality things that I thought were pretty cool that you could use with your iPhone. Um, Google Glass, of course, was a joke and never really made it anywhere, even though I actually think the concept was pretty interesting. Um, And and in its implementation, I thought it was pretty cool too as well. I just thought it was too far ahead of its time. Um, So virtual reality up until this point, um, I haven't seen any practical use for it. And it's not that there aren't practical uses for it. No one's just come up with practical uses for it yet.
0: Right, and that's i I think that for me that um obviously, uh, not obviously, but I skipped over a lot of the stuff in in this thing because it was really boring. Um I watched for a second a couple of the I don't know what you would call it demonstration, I guess, and mm-hmm. the only thing that's fascinating to me about the HoloLens is that it is Microsoft, not that I'm a huge Microsoft fan, but Microsoft is so so rooted in that practical productivity business app space, that if anybody's going to try really hard to find a practical application for the average businessman, Mm -hmm. it's going to be Microsoft. So I I was kind of hoping that they would debut like a virtual desktop.
1: You know, you know where that will, here's the problem. And it's not because the technology isn't capable of really amazing things. Um, It's just because people's brains are old and dumb. Um, And so I think because in order to use virtual reality um, in such a way that's practical, like you have to look at, you know, but you go to like Iron Man and you see Tony Stark's table where he's pulling up schematics and, you know, blowing up, um, you know, uh, full engineering diagrams and stuff like that, right? Well, I, I can see that applying really well to, like, a business infrastructure, you know, seeing how your company's organized in three dimensions and being able to move stuff around and organize things. But I just don't think people's brains work that way inherently. And so because of that, even if it's the greatest thing in the world, I just don't think this generation of um, business person – because I and this is not to, to make too gross of an assumption about who's in, in, in business these days, but we're talking, you know, 40, 50-year-old men predominantly who – um, you know, don't have a whole lot of grasp of technology in the first place, much less using something as advanced and completely different as virtual reality in order to organize or understand business. You know what I mean?
0: I agree 100%. I think that, I mean, we're when you're looking at the business space, you're still dealing with people who have barely conquered okay, this is a drastic generalization, but have barely conquered email. Yeah, You know, like cloud-based things and all of these programs, there's still things they struggle with. Um, sure. So, I feel like the reason that they're doing this right now is just they want to be the first. Sure, sure. And and that's fine. I mean it's part of it's part of how why people invest in a company, right? Like if they okay. think that in ten years that's going to be valuable, they're going to buy stock. Oh
1: yeah. And 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 from that perspective, I can see VR being not only valuable but ubiquitous in, in a in a probably a shorter period of time than either you or I can predict. Just because once you open up the floodgates and once you start like it's it's like introducing a smartphone into the environment. Like who knew you know, five years ago that smartphones would be the only phones that would be viable devices to us these days. You know what I mean? Like that happened really, really fast. Right. In, in the scope of history. You know what I mean?
0: And I think I think one thing that I will say um, that it has never occurred to me except for right now. Uh, the one thing that will be awesome about virtual reality that maybe I'm excited about is all of this equipment and stuff that we have on our desks and things laying around, mm-hmm. wires and all that will be completely unnecessary sure so i mean that's kind of a cool thought um that i you know like if i want to edit video i could get on the treadmill and edit video in the air i could lay on my bed and watch tv staring at the ceiling with my neck supported you know all of these things that uh require like screwing things into the wall and you know all these other complicated mechanisms will no longer be necessary so that's kind of neat
1: yeah the other side of that though is um you'll Basically, your your entire life will revolve around a very small number of devices. So when something goes wrong, it's going to go really wrong.
0: (laughs) Yeah, people people feel naked when they lose their phones. Now imagine when they lose the world that they live in.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like imagine if your your personal assistant just literally disappeared off the face of the earth. Like I mean, that's what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like you wake up one morning and you ask your room to turn on the lights um, and play a certain song, and it doesn't work. You're going to freak out.
0: When you pop out of the Matrix for the first time in three years and yeah, no look at your body, and you look like that old man on the cover of that Megadeth album.
1: Yeah, I forget. Uh, I think um, it was Star Trek Two. I don't remember which one it was, but Bones was in it, and I remember Doctor McCoy. Oh no, it was a, uh, it was um, Star Trek Four, the one where they go back to Earth, it, the, where they go back to San Francisco and try oh, to. With the work. whales. Yeah, and I remember seeing Bones go into like a, an operating room and, and watching people get cut up, and he's like, "Ugh," <laughs> you know, like. Like, you guys still <laughs> cut people up. That's so savage. You know what I mean?
0: And here's what's hilarious. lamb you've done it again. You Uh-oh. just steered into another thing on my list. That's, oh. what, that's what I've been watching recently. Really? <laughs> I've been watching the original Star Trek. And I have to admit, even though the special effects are cheesy, there's a lot more depth to that show than I expected.
1: Oh, yeah, sure. There's yeah, a- and, and, I mean, even even the movies. The movies have... have Social themes in them that are pretty deep. I mean, we all the stuff like with Uhura being the first, you know, um, strong female lead and all that kind of stuff. Um, that stuff's pretty, pretty obvious. But I mean, even the things that they talk about when it comes to the environment and how to, you know, like Star Trek Four was all about how we we completely destroyed the environment, and wiped out eighty percent of the species on the Earth. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah, it's really cool. It's interesting.
0: Yeah, there's the one episode I just—I mean, like I've been watching it, and you know, some I didn't expect a lot from it, so I wasn't really paying 100 attention to it and yeah. i found myself you know sometimes i'll be doing something like doodling or something i look up in the middle of this episode and there are episodes iconic episodes of that show that even if you've never watched it you've probably heard of at least if you're in the nerdy space that you and i are uh-huh. um and this is not one that i've ever heard anyone mention it's called uh the galileo seven mm-hmm. and it's essentially uh bones spock scotty and three random dudes, which you know what that usually means, uh, get stranded on a planet with nothing but their shuttlecraft. And the only thing that's really worth mentioning in this episode is the amount of tension between the characters for the entirety of the show. Mm. And it's not dealing with a specific topic or anything like that. It's just that tension between the characters was way grittier than I expected. And it, All of a sudden, I'm like, I I like this show. Sure. And it's funny how something that small can do that.
1: Yeah, it's funny that you say that. Like, um, there are, especially with next gen, um, there are quite a few episodes that are, that are different than what you would expect, um, from a sci-fi show. Like, I remember, uh, it it all, it's all, it always ends up being Jonathan Frakes too. Um, and here's where we really dive into my Trek nerdiness. Um, (laughs) is that. Frakes always had a a tendency to direct the weirder episodes, um, some of which, like, there was one in particular where um, they were all having this experience while they were sleeping, um, and they were being abducted in their sleep, and they didn't know it. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they were all constructing, like, this really scary room, and they were all really terrified. Like, it was was a very interesting episode. It had nothing to do with ships being blown up or anything like that, but it was just really, really scary. You know what I mean?
0: I wonder if Frakes did that episode where they all were de-evolving.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's another weird one. That's a weird one. Also, the uh, one where Picard is—I uh, f- forget the Kardashians, uh, Kardashian, Kardashian's name—that um, that, that uh, ended up <laughs> capturing him. Do you remember that, f- that
0: one? F- I have to laugh because I didn't realize what error you just made until like 20 seconds after you made it. <laughs> it made sense to me. Uh, sorry, ask me again. <laughs> but there,
1: there was there was an episode where Picard's captured, and like this Kardashian is trying to convince him that. Um, you know, um, like, the the Enterprise has been destroyed, and it's just he and, and this Cardassian guy. And, and, and
0: Oh, yeah.
1: And the, the famous line, There are four lights! You know, when Picard's, like, yelling it. At oh, the yeah, when he's
0: when he's nuts.
1: Yeah, when he's trying to drive him absolutely bonkers, basically. Like, that. I think <laughs> that was a Freaks episode, too, and that was a great one.
0: Oh, man. Actually, I mean, I think you and I grew up at the right time for that show. We were old enough that we wanted something more than cartoons, mm-hmm. but we weren't old enough... That we approach that with anything critical, sure. sure. And it's so, it's not so a bad show that deserves criticism. It's just some people can't deal with that kind of fantasy.
1: Sure, sure, sure. And I I, I feel like there's something that's lost in all of that. Um, you know, like Enterprise. I, I honestly still think Enterprise was just a just a joke, and and Voyager was kind of annoying to me. Um, Deep Space Nine was cool just because, um, especially in the later years, when um, Cisco basically shaved his head and turned into. To, Othello and, and started to, to get crazy and wanted to kill people. Um, but, you know, like the new generation of Star Trek um, with J.J. Um, Abrams, I mean, don't get me wrong, they're a whole lot of fun, and they're very stunningly good mo- or stunning looking movies, or stunning-looking movies. And for the first time in in the history of, of Star Trek, um, space battles happen in three dimensions versus in two dimensions. Um, so all of that's fascinating, but it loses that sense of, of social social forward thinking you know what I mean that the old series had and as much as I like the new series and as much as I think he did a very good job of rebooting Star Trek as we know it I still think that it lacks that that social punch that the old Star Trek
0: had right I think well I what I always found fascinating about the next generation even as opposed to the original one is more than anything that show is about utopia yeah and and trying to create utopia and about protecting the ideas of utopia which sometimes means you know like how often does picard say the words prime directive in there which is essentially the whole idea there is about doing things that maybe make you uncomfortable but you have to because it preserves the utopia
1: Sure. And there's, there's no real talk of money or any, I mean, it's, it's essentially a a utopian society that's, you know, people may hate me for even saying the word, but it's almost communistic in that no one really owns anything. You know what I mean? There's no real possessions.
0: Other than, other than the military rank, it's completely socialist. Yeah. I mean, nobody, nobody has to, you know, scan their insurance card when they, when they go to see Dr. Crusher. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nobody's starving. All the food's available to anybody at all times. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, th- I feel like that. That's, I mean, what? How else would you imagine a utopian society being? On, in all honesty.
1: Sure, sure. Um, and, then, and then even in within the Star Trek universe, when you start transitioning to like Deep Space Nine, where you start introducing currencies back into the equation, and I think this was kind of done on purpose in a way, is you start to see the inherent problems with it. You know what I mean?
0: Right. I feel like that one of the main things. I mean, you could really dig into the metaphors of of. The, the races in that show and how they relate to countries at the time sure. that the show was made, you know, like, oh, okay, these guys are Japan. These guys are China. Uh, these guys are Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why it does that because somebody was making a point about the state of the world now and how it's hard to preserve things when there's so many different kinds of people.
1: Yeah. Makes sense. Um,
0: so since I've talked about two shows that I'm watching inadvertently, what TV shows are you watching?
1: Um, Actually, I haven't really been watching a whole lot of TV. I dove back into some movies lately. Um, I still have I, I still have yet to see uh, Batman v. Superman, um, Dawn Me of neither. Justice, which is the longest, weirdest title ever. Um, <laughs> but I, I went back and watched um, Man of Steel, which I actually thought was a pretty good movie. I thought it got panned pretty hard. Um, I liked but, it. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, there are a lot of Superman things that are ignored. Um, Like, for example, he destroys half of Metropolis, and the Superman in the comic books would have never done that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, that's more a nerdy thing than anything else. Like, if you didn't know anything about Superman, it's just a good movie about an alien. You know what I mean?
0: My favorite part about that movie is that it didn't do the thing that every other iteration of Superman does. Spend at least the first quarter to the first half making you meet Clark Kent and going through that whole clark kent glasses no glasses thing you don't see clark kent but for what four seconds at the end of that film yeah which is just to set up the next film which apparently they didn't even end up doing yeah so that's my favorite part about that it's just like straight into superman and i've never been a superman fan because i always thought superman was kind of a sellout yeah um but i liked that superman i felt like he was gritty i felt like there was um there was a struggle in him that I hadn't seen in a lot of the cartoon and movie representations before.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, as for other things that I'm watching, let's see here. Um, just because of you, I, I ended up watching, and not even, not even on Netflix or anything, but I just YouTubed a bunch of random episodes of Unsolved Mysteries that I'd re- remembered.
0: Oh, you found some.
1: Oh yeah, and in particular, there's some of the ghost ones are actually really, really terrifying. <laughs>
0: there was a there was a period of time there when Cosgrove Media, which is the company, this is really nerdy. I don't, I think I'm the only nerdy person on this one that knows this. Cosgrove Media is the company that um, owns the rights to all the episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, uh-huh. and there was a time there where they s- stripped all of it, all of it, off of, uh, of YouTube, with the exception of like two because they were related to open cases. Uh-huh. Um, one was the case of Danny Castellero. Wow, that's crazy memory.
1: Wow, um, you are nerdy.
0: <laughs> well, I remember that story particularly because that story is about a reporter that was killed for uncovering a conspiracy within, pretty much within the government uh-huh. um, and big business. But anyways, sidetrack. Uh, but yeah, they'd stripped it, and you couldn't find anything before. That's how I ended up getting the files that I secretly figured out a magical way to get and have on my computer now. Nice. Because before that, I was watching them on YouTube.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. same so. and, and, yeah, I remember that era, too, when they got yanked. Um, and slowly but surely, they're, you know, because humans are humans and they'll, they'll always find a way. Like, they're starting to slowly leak back onto YouTube again. Um, but, of course, I mean, you might see it on there for a week and a half before it's taken down, but then someone else will sprout it back up again.
0: So, uh, other than ghosts, what did you see? What... Let's get let's get deep on unsolved mysteries.
1: Wow, unsolved mysteries. Um, I mean, I you know for the, the the lasting legacy for unsolved mysteries for me. I mean, beyond the format of the show and the the interesting theme song and stuff like that, there was just something inherently really creepy about Robert Stack. Um, <laughs>
0: and, was, and was it his stiffness?
1: Yeah, his stiffness, his weirdly dead eyes, um, (laughs) his almost almost monotonous but not quite monotonous voice, you know what I mean? Like it was monotone, but it had just enough inflection to be weird. Yeah, Uh, it
0: felt like there was like a little bit of malicious intent behind almost everything that he said.
1: Like everything was slightly sinister in a way, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, And I remember the one thing that I, I remember... Uh, what was who was i talking to about this i don't it doesn't matter um but i I likened robert stack's voice to the voice i imagine that satan would have you know what i mean (laughs)
0: um
1: and even in his demeanor like he's been he's been alive for like you know millennia and so he's just bored you know what i mean but he still has (laughs) but he doesn't think of time in the same way that we do so robert stack is satan basically is what i'm saying um But like he he thinks of time differently, so for him everything there's not really anything that gets him that excited or anything like that. So, yeah, Robert Stack is basically the devil.
0: I think that that core of that weirdness of that mixed with the music, of course, and I think in some ways there's a weirdness from the really horrible acting that's in it. Sure. And by the way, for those who don't know, Matthew McConaughey got his start as a reenactor on Unsolved Yeah, Mysteries. I
1: remember that. I just saw that recently.
0: I own the episode.
1: Or... And you know, for for the amount of for the time in which that show was on the air, too, um, and this is only something that 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 a certain level of nerd would would recognize, I think. But there was a darker aesthetic to the show, um, and in a very obvious way, like the cuts were slower, the color temperatures were colder. Um, you know, that the, the, just, just the overall tone of the show was very specific. Um, and I think that that's, that's an underappreciated aspect of that show is how, how, how subtly grimy they made it without being obvious about it.
0: Yeah. On the production end, there was definitely a lot of theatricality in that, that maybe nobody else had done in a true crime type show. Um, also here's something interesting and I don't know, I'd have to actually look this up to figure it out. But I have a couple episodes in my little toolbox. No, not toolbox. Just box. (laughs) (laughs) In my box of uh, Unsolved Mysteries that are not hosted by Robert Stack.
1: Whoa, I didn't know that existed.
0: And I think one of them was the host before him, which it might have just been a pilot episode or two. Uh And then I don't know if they went with somebody else next or if somebody else just filled in for him on one episode. But here's the weird thing. So the original host, I believe, was Carl Malden. Oh, wow. Who you guys will have to Google, and I'll have to put it in the show notes because most of you are so young, you have no idea who Carl Malden is or what an American Express commercial is. Um,
1: <laughs> wow, that is going back.
0: Um, and then after that, it was um, Raymond Burr, a.k.a. Oh,
1: Raymond Burr, yeah. Uh-huh.
0: A.k.a. Perry Mason.
1: You know, th- I just had I just had a freak-out moment with um, – you pulling reference, you know, the, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about this week was the lack of of, of, of a show that had a, a detective protagonist um, like Perry Mason or Columbo. Interesting. That's that's a weird one. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I figured you would be of the generation where you would have watched those. Like, I really, really liked Columbo. Perry Mason was kind of boring to me. Um, I mean, it was good, but it wasn't as as, as interesting just because I think, um, God, what's, what's Columbo's name? Peter Faulkner?
0: Yeah, Peter Falk
1: Peter Falk um he had such an interesting set of mannerisms that that made him such a unique character but then it do it it took me down a way deep rabbit rabbit hole that brought Tom Selleck and Angela Lansbury back into the equation too so <laughs> yeah so. I, de-
0: I mean I definitely watched all of that stuff like that's <laughs> definitely that's why I think to this day I still like cop shows
1: you know there's still there's a few out there like I mean Bones is one of them with um Right. Zoe Deschanel's sister, which I don't remember her name off the top of my head right now. Emily uh, Emily Deschanel. and you don't really recognize until you really until you know that she's uh, Zoe Deschanel's sister like you don't really realize how similar they actually are, which is odd.
0: Right. I you think know, that, a lot of the that, reason you don't see those kinds of shows because they all transitioned into either gritty cop dramas like The Shield, you know, in, inspired by The Shield or um Hill Street Blues actually is the original, I would say. Yeah. Or um what was what was the one with Dennis Franz?
1: Oh um, NYPD blue. NYPD blue, that's right. That's right.
0: They all moved into into that direction, or they moved into CSI. Yeah. Which essentially I mean, that's what Bones essentially is. Uh huh. And you know, she's an anthropologist who solves crimes. I mean, it's it's a ridiculous theory, even though apparently she's based on a real person. Sure. Kathy Reichs is a real person.
1: CSI Miami, who is the head guy?
0: David Caruso.
1: Caruso, that's right. I love David Caruso.
0: Really, you might yeah. be the only person on the planet that has ever uttered that sentence. Yeah, because, other than David Caruso,
1: because everyone thinks he's an overactor and they think he's really annoying. But the, the reason why I, I like him isn't the the majority of his work. I actually horribly dislike, but I actually thought he was pretty good on CSI. And I remember a movie with. Um, Russell Crowe called Proof of Life with Meg Ryan uh-huh. and, he, and he played this, this, um, this Special Forces guy and I thought he was really good in it and that was the first real exposure I'd had to Caruso in a way that made me actually notice him you know what I mean? So for me I had I, had, I have that, 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 that positive feeling about him as my first feeling on David Caruso you know?
0: so My, my uh, feeling on David Caruso was oh he made the worst career choice in the history of television so he was the, for those that don't know he was originally the lead in nypd blue and dennis franz was like his chubby mustache sidekick essentially
1: wow i forgot that i forgot that which is a, a, a you know pretty clear indicator of how bad it was
0: and after the first season david Crusoe was like peace out guys i'm gonna make movies i'm gonna become a movie star i'm bigger than this yeah. and he made jade which Oops. was awful and never had a movie career and what happened with NYPD Blue? Oh, he's the lead that we picked is gone. Who do we have left? Oh, this Dennis Franz guy. Well, let's see what we can do with him. And ended up making one of the most iconic characters in the history of at least crime television.
1: Yeah, how long has that show been running now? Or or how long did it run? I'm sorry.
0: Um, I don't know. Let's Google it.
1: Yeah, it ran a long time. I remember it was... It was It it was one of those unavoidable shows. Like it felt like every time I turned on the TV when I actually still turned on TVs, um, that, that it was just on all the time.
0: 12 years, 93 to 2005.
1: Yep. Sounds about right. Jeez. That's a long run. And and,
0: and in reality, it it was only good for half of that. And there was a certain point where they reached where, you know, after Franz's character, um, went through AA and became sober. Then they started going, which was probably the best time is watching him go through that because it hadn't been really covered on television before. But then they went through the formula of, okay, old cop, partner him with a young, young new cop so that we can get the ratings. And they just kept repeating that. First, they had Rick. They brought Rick Schroeder in. Yeah, I that. Yeah. And then when they dumped Rick Schroeder or he left or whatever happened, they brought in Mark Paul Gosler from Saved by the Bell. Mm-hmm. And that was just the the formula that they repeated, um, but yeah, that was uh, definitely at points that show was very powerful. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't think you're right. We don't have any detective. Uh, well, you could make an argument. It's off the air now but for Psych, even though it was yeah, a, a comedy. What?
1: And which which I mean, if you look at Columbia, it was pretty much a comedy too. You know what I mean? Let's be. Oh right. yeah,
0: the show was awful. But he was brilliant.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I've watched you know what all that, of them. You know what he reminds me of? Uh, or what what Show Columbo reminds me of? Uh, Monk. Did you ever see Monk? Oh, I love it. Yeah, Monk was great. Oh, but same, same kind of thing. You know, just weird idiosyncrasies and a bizarre character that had his own his own kind of way through the world.
0: I think that was, I hate to say it because he still has a career, but that might have been the peak of Tony Shalhoub's career.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that.
0: He was decent on fr- I mean Friends, on uh, Wings. Yeah. Uh, awful, awful choice to be Splinter in the last Ninja Turtle movie, though.
1: Oh, I don't even remember that.
0: I'm like, first of all, Splinter is supposed to be Japanese. So Tony Shaloub doing a fake Japanese accent, not very PC.
1: Yeah, especially in this day and age. Why why do you need to do that?
0: And it's like in this, because it's not PC, he's not fully committed to it. So it's like kind of what he's doing and kind of what he's not doing. Mm-hmm. and it it just makes for a weird performance i felt yeah but come on it's a ninja turtle movie so i guess <laughs> you can't expect too much right
1: yeah exactly i mean i don't get me wrong you can expect a certain a lot like this why are they doing a sequel already i mean that's a whole different argument in it. I've, I've been i've been wrestling with that one for a couple of weeks now just after i saw the trailer I was like guys really what is happening <laughs>
0: it'll, it'll be awful but i'm still gonna watch it because oh, i want i, w- I want to see bebop i want to see rocksteady and i want to see kang
1: well casey jones is in it too so we got that
0: i'm never a big casey jones guy
1: yeah i'm a hockey player so i mean by nature i gotta be a ho- uh casey jones guy
0: that makes sense yeah to yeah, so, uh oh, they just announced who's voicing kang and i can't remember who it is now dang
1: that yeah, was someone big too
0: fred armiston or Armiston.
1: oh Armisen. Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: that's oddly oddly works uh, you were mentioning to me the other day about the Batman Lego movie. What were you saying? Is that the Oh lines? yeah,
1: it has one of the most spectacular casts of all time. I mean, Will Arnett as Bat- Batman it already sounds like Christian Bale tried to sound during the entire you know Christopher Nolan run. Right. Ray Fiennes is is Alfred, and then you've got the likes of Michael Cera, Zach Galifianakis. Mariah Carey's in there somewhere. I mean, there's wow. it's a pretty spectacular cast.
0: I was a big fan of the Lego movie. I'm just gonna say it.
1: Yeah, a, it was a lot of fun, and, and I, I, I like that the, the Lego Batman movie is not going to take itself too seriously, and it's just basically going to introduce every single villain known to man back into the series.
0: That's great to me. Yep, And that's the one thing that Lego can do. It doesn't have to take itself seriously. It's yep. a, whoever would have thought that that would have become a franchise. Just doing Lego-style I, I don't get that,
1: but a franchise with a level of success that it seemed... Dude, the Lego movie was huge. <laughs> right.
0: Well, it's... I mean, it makes sense. Have you seen the prices of Legos recently? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> They're loaded.
1: Yeah, I bought one for my, my nephew over Christmas, and it was like 47 bucks for something that I, I figured was going to cost like 12
0: Yeah, if you want like a castle or a building or something, you need to take out a loan. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, the Millennium Falcon is like, what, hundreds of dollars?
0: Yeah, it's like building a Lego house like now is like owning a real home. You're like, well, we'll buy this starter kit and then maybe in a couple years when we have enough money we can add a room. Yeah. they're going to insure them soon, you know, be like Lego insurance, fire, did you, flood.
1: Did you finish off the um the Microsoft announcements? I feel like you had more.
0: Uh there probably was more, but apparently it wasn't very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that they're bringing they're bringing the pen more front and center. Oh, they're, okay. they're opening. Um, it's actually kind of interesting. They're opening a uh, when you when you click the top button on the pen right now, it opens one note. Um, mm-hmm. In the demonstration that they showed, it will open a kind of uh, drawer that slides in from the side, yeah. and in here will be um, quick links to um, sticky notes, quick links to a sketchbook, um, and then quick links back to your most used pen apps. Oh, so. Goodness. It's like a they're calling it the Ink Center, but like it's actually an extensibility that's going across all of um the Windows 10 that's going to be on these kind of devices, mm-hmm. so that no matter what app you're in, you'll be, it's going to make the Ink flow better throughout all apps. Um, and then they also introduce it's an on-screen ruler, and that's actually really cool. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah, it, it just pulls out a ruler and like, dude, you can do like they're showing like, oh, you're in, uh, Keynote not keynote what is the name of that app powerpoint you're in powerpoint and you're making a powerpoint thing pull out your ruler and you can and they're using it to do graphic design with this ruler um Mm. pretty neat and then photoshop is making a french curve for the windows version of photoshop which is outstanding if you know what a french curve is It's like one of those little clear plastic plastic things with... It looks like a wave in the ocean. So you can make all different kinds of curves in art. So that, like, when you're in Illustrator or something, you're making something, you can just pull up this French curve. And, I mean, literally, you're drawing a pen against an object that is not there. But it's creating a ridge like the object is there.
1: Why has that taken so long to be introduced into... Like... I, you know, as a as an Illustrator user, I've been using Illustrator for a really long time. Um, back got nine versions by now. Um, and I remember having to hand-draw Beziers um, in such a way that was just so meticulous and painstaking. Like, our friend Harag does that quite a bit, too. Like, he's he's a design freak when it comes to, you know, industrial design. So I, I've seen him sit there and mess with a curve for an hour before.
0: <laughs> you know? Well, I'd, I'd say, first of all, part of it would have been lack of imagination. Sure. And second of all, I, I really think it's um, maybe they were looking forward in the wrong way. They weren't looking back and going, how do people draw now? Sure. how is What are the tools that people use to get these things done now? And instead of figuring out how to make those things that work, that have been perfected for decades, if not centuries, mm-hmm. they created something new. Which is because it was exciting, but they didn't capture all the... You know, it's like all the things that they're doing with you know when they first created ebooks well why are ebooks so hard to read because you didn't pay attention to how paper works sure that's why you know like this true tone thing on the new ipad like they're finally realizing oh the reflective quality of light upon a surface makes a difference on how we react with it
1: it's funny because i feel like only in the last few years have we started to to or has the technology world finally just gotten over itself and just stop being really excited about the new, interesting technologies that they could develop without thinking about how practical it would be for people to use them. Like, you know, the fact that that, that most to-do lists um, didn't have a way to create checkboxes for a while was really annoying. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like a, a lot of companies are finally coming full circle on that stuff and saying, okay, hey, wait a minute, what did we like about these things? And what 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 is... Something that's just archaic and needs to evolve, or what is something that will help us um, use an old tool a better way? You know what I mean?
0: I think what happened to them is they they started, wow, that was a nice notification. Uh, apparently, that's not on mute. Uh, they started a, basically, they started a parade. They started parading on the street. They like, okay, everybody, we're going this way, we're going this way. And then they got like 10 blocks down, and they turned around and be like, isn't this great? And they turned around, and there was nobody behind them. Yeah, yeah. like oh we lost everybody sure and that's why they had to go back i mean like even in the microsoft announcement uh the guy gets on stage and he says how many of you still use pen and paper on a daily basis Mm -hmm. 76 percent of people use paper for at least an hour a day still to this day sure oh i know what i was going to tell you about the microsoft thing that reminds me so i remember i had mentioned before how uh Phil Schiller had made that horrible joke about there are still, I said, 6 million uh, uh, PCs that were five years or older that people were still using. Yep. It was actually 600 million. Holy crap. Uh, but the great thing is when they got on stage, this is the one thing that I did enjoy about their presentation. They said, you know, they're talking about all the updates and all the things they're doing. And they go, like, and this is for anybody that's buying a new thing or anybody that's using a five-year-old PC. And of course all the Windows people laughed because it was like a hey, screw you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Which I, I love those little contentious things because I mean, these guys are selling each other's products at the same time.
1: Yeah. And and you know, it's it's people I, I love how 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 clear the battle lines are drawn when it comes to your average consumer and how much that plays into people buying a specific product and how, how funny it is that guys like Bill Gates and, and You know, Steve Jobs, um, when they were still um, in the full swing of things, were having conversations with each other about how they could better each other's companies. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) You know?
0: Yeah, I know. Hey, uh, here's an interesting thing while we're still in the technology realm. I quit music streaming.
1: Really? Entirely?
0: Yep. And it's not a um, protest. (laughs) Actually, actually, I have something related to this as well.
1: Um, yeah, say do I, said why, by the way. <laughs> it's,
0: it's just simply because I got to a point where I was like, I, so many of the things that I do now, like editing video, editing podcasts, all of these things, I can't listen to music while I'm doing those things because there's there's sound involved. Sure. So when you're doing that much stuff where you can't listen to something else, I looked at how much time I was actually listening to music, and, I'm, and I came to the realization that, like, I'm not positive that I'm listening to music, and I'm listening to $10 a month worth of music. Huh. I'm just not positive that I am. So I'm throwing $10 at Apple for no reason. Yeah. For possibility that I might want to listen to something. Yeah. What were you going to say about streaming?
1: Um, that no one still has a good interface. I mean, other than the fact that you know, the iTunes music is your music, whatever it's called, is is physically on your phone. Like... You, myself, um, Harag, a few, you know, few other friends that we had who were um, avid users of RDO still kind of go back to the days of RDO and, and lament the death of that company and how amazing that interface was compared to pretty much everything else that's out there. Like I try to use Spotify, and it just annoys me. Like it, it just bugs me. On a it, and I I, I, I'm, I listen to music quite a bit, so I would love to have a music app that didn't just piss me off, but I just haven't found one.
0: <laughs> well. Maybe you should try Tidal. Just kidding.
1: Ugh. Did, you,
0: did you hear Kanye, he's already eating crow?
1: Yep, yep, that's, he, that didn't take long.
0: My album will never be on Apple Music. Everybody, it's available next week. Yep. <laughs> he yeah. went. He, he held out, what, a month and a half?
1: Yeah, barely. I mean, I, I never believe anything that guy says anymore. So I wonder
0: how all those people that signed up for Tidal so that they can hear his music feel now.
1: Yeah, like idiots, basically. Because, I mean, because you know how how the Kanye camp works. The people who are Kanye fans are so vehemently Kanye fans that you can't even say anything bad with them. They're like Trump fans, you know what I mean? Right. Like, you can't have an opinion that is different from theirs without them just getting ragingly mad at you.
0: That might be the strongest political statement ever made on this show. (laughs) Kanye is Donald Trump.
1: He is Donald Trump. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, I think you and I get in the weeds when we even start mentioning politics. Um. But, you know, it's not to say that you and I aren't politically minded. We just don't want to introduce that into the podcast because it's a whole... It's a different podcast, basically.
0: Right. Well, I feel like once you go political, it's it's like what Kurt Vonnegut used to say about sex in books. He says, once you start introducing sex into a book, that's what it becomes about. Sure, sure, sure. (laughs) Because that's the whole thing. It takes over everything. Once you introduce too much politics into a podcast it takes it over but we have weighed heavily into the fbi thing
1: well maybe yeah but that's different though i think that's a more personal freedom thing versus you know political parties or legislation or anything like that but something that we could do kind of um um a a sideways move is just to talk about kanye in um and just basically assume that we're just talking about about trump you know what i mean because they're essentially they're essentially the same person doing the same thing in two completely different spaces
0: I just I, I just think it's really important that everybody knows that birds love Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> that video is actually incredible. Whether yeah, whether, whether appreciate- you like the man's politics or not, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Just I I would and and I don't mean just because a bird landed on his podium. I just think his reaction is so genuine, um, sure. that I enjoyed it. It's he's in the middle of making a point and he stops to appreciate this bird, and I just I enjoyed that as a video.
1: Sure, uh, I agree. I agree.
0: Uh, what I don't enjoy is that knowing that the FBI is already using their uh, cracking thing to bust into another phone. Yep. Uh Alabama was it? Is it Yeah, that
1: didn't, that didn't take long, did it? <laughs>
0: oh, my. and it somebody somebody posted something online that made me laugh. I think I think yeah, here it is. It's a fake conversation. It says FBI you should do it. It's just one phone. Apple. No it isn't. FBI, we got in. Apple, you should say how. It's just one phone. FBI, no, it isn't. That whole conversation kind of captures the whole thing right there. It's like, yeah, you guys, uh, you lied.
1: Yep, agreed.
0: And it's 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 astonishing how little shame they have for lying to go ahead and do it this quickly. I mean, there's they didn't even wait not even i mean it's been a not even a week has it been a week
1: no it hasn't been uh might might be just at about a week basically
0: astonishing astonishing okay yeah. let's get out of the weeds what are, you, <laughs> what are you reading
1: um oh this is a fun collection this week um so i i was digging through my garage trying to basically give away a bunch of clothes um and i came across one of my favorite books of all time which also reminded me of one of my favorite websites of all time um the name of the book is "Our Dumb World," um, and it's a book that was created by The Onion. Um, that basically goes through every single country in the world and gives um, interesting facts, um, uh, untrue facts, and just funny commentary about the countries themselves. is an absolutely hilarious book.
0: Do you have it in front of you? Yeah, I do. All right, give uh, us a, give us a few.
1: Okay, let's see here. Let's let's talk about. Um, let me find let me find a good one. So uh, talk amongst yourself for a second.
0: Talk amongst ourselves. I'll tell you what I'm reading while you're looking that up. I started reading Night of the Gun by David Carr. Oh, nice. which uh, I'm only in chapter five, but man. First of all, the man can write a sentence. It's just some of the things he says where it's just incredible. Um, but the basic it's essentially a memoir, um, but it's a memoir done with more skill and more literary ability than most memoirs are done. Most memoirs are very pulpy. Um, David Carr was a journalist, famous journalist who at one point in his youth was a pretty much a junkie and an alcoholic while still being a journalist um, and then was fired for it. He died recently of cancer um, unrelated. He turned his life around and ended up working for I believe it was the New York times. Mm -hmm. Um, but this book is just, so far it's incredible, just the things that he says. But the premise of why he named the book what he named it mm-hmm. is, the, is it just blows me away. So essentially he's talking about a story where he, I'm not ruining anything, guys, because this is like chapter two stuff, uh, where he goes over, he's, he's out partying with a friend and they're, they're drunk, they're doing whatever, um, he goes, you know, they're doing drugs, doing all this stuff. He's just out of his head, right? And him and his friend get in an argument on the way to the parking lot. And they actually get into like a physical fight, like a an altercation. And his friend leaves and he goes to his friend's house to try to continue this fight. And the guy lives with his sister and the sister opens the door. And, you know, David Carr is telling the story from his perspective. He's like, and my friend comes to the door and he's got a gun and he's telling me to leave because he has a gun. And that he's just called the cops, and he's still being cool, but, you know, like, I gotta go, because he's got a gun, or whatever. Well, he finds out years later, when he's talking, when him and his friend make up, after he gets sober, he's talking to his friend, and he goes, I didn't have a gun, you had the gun. And he goes through this whole thing where he's like, he's like, I, I'm not a gun person, I've never been a gun person, I don't know why I would have a gun, I wouldn't have a gun. He's like, I'm not saying that the guy's a liar, he's like... But it, I, I don't see myself as having a gun. And he talks to another friend from that time. So he starts to decide, like, he's going to track down the story, right? And he brings out his uh, reporter roots, tracks down another friend, and the other friend goes, Oh, yeah, you had a gun. You, you tried to make me go back into the house and get it for you. It huh. was in the. Like, and so the whole premise of the story, uh, the, of the book, is essentially the idea of, like, he was so far gone that there's this story. That he doesn't know what's true and what's not and I assume going forward the whole purpose of this book is for him to break down what really happened on the night of the gun and I'm just going to read the one sentence from it and then I want you to go to your book okay he says I am not an enthusiastic or adept liar even so can I tell you a true story about the worst day of my life no
1: wow
0: pretty great interesting
1: well I mean how, how far deep into the book are you
0: chapter five how how many chapters i have no idea i've been doing it on audiobook so
1: oh gotcha okay
0: i think i'm like less than 10 percent in gotcha oh i have the book here i have the physical book i'll tell you right now there are 60 something 60 something chapters
1: holy cow so you are barely into it then
0: yeah i've just cracked into it gotcha (laughs) Okay, so give me, give me some of this, uh, what was it, our, our what world?
1: Our dumb world. Our dumb uh, world. So basically it goes in to describe some of the cities um, in some of the countries as well. Like uh, here's the thing on Brazil. Um, it, the description of Rio, Rio de Janeiro is um, soccer goal temporarily eclipses nation's economic, cultural, and political crisis. Um, in Sao Paulo, the city murder rate has gone down since the um, statistician in the city was murdered a year ago. Um, which I thought was pretty funny. And then uh, there's some interesting stuff about the United States. Like, you know, they describe California. um, Like, they describe Sacramento as uh, voted the third most arbitrary location for a state capital. Um, (laughs) They have the entire San Joaquin Valley um, listed as hippie reserves. So it's like a preserve for, like, hippies. Um, And then they also have um, this thing called um, like a, a region of the, the of, of uh, the United States called the Bullshit States, uh, <laughs> which uh, Cal- which uh, Alaska is obviously a part of, and like the 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 little islands are described as what the hell are all these? You know what I mean? Like that's the actual description. Um, so yeah, it's an, it's an amazing book, and I, I I I I adore this book on many levels. Just going literally page by page and just reading every every morsel and and geniusly crafted. Uh, bit of comedy that's in it like it's it's just a really really fun book
0: i'm gonna need to find that
1: yeah i I, the next time i see you i'll I'll loan it to you because i still have your asimov book that i still haven't read yet
0: and one day we will talk about those on the podcast
1: one day uh (laughs) that book book. i've also been uh i've been kind of going through my favorite authors and 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 trying to track down books that i haven't read like uh for some odd reason i really love hemingway but i've never read a farewell to arms me neither Uh, so I I'm I, I recently found a copy of that and so I'm going to be diving into that this week. Um and then um I've read bits and pieces of it but I have not read from cover to cover the Bell Jar. Um so I I'm going to dive into Sylvia Plath this week too.
0: You nailed two things I haven't read either. That's fantastic. That's interesting. Somebody uh Gisella and somebody else was reading were reading the uh Bell Jar recently. Yeah. Uh, I have not even, I love Sylvia Platt's poetry too, it's strange, I haven't even, and Hemingway, I think, to be honest, other than his short stories, the only thing I've ever read is uh, The Sun Also Rises, that's yeah, horrible, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's horrible, um, how about some music, man, let's hear some music that are going in your ears, that well, is,
1: here's, here's a weird one, um, so, n- lately I've not been listening to music so much for the songs, but listening to production quality and production level. Um, so I've dived into some pop music strangely. Um, I started listening to Sia lately, um, nice in a very different way though. Um, not just on my phone or in, you know, on my car speakers or anything like that, but I've been putting on full on studio, um, you know, monitors and listening to the intricacies that are in that, that, that you in any of her songs. And let me tell you, compare next time. If, if you have a chance, listen to a Sia song at the highest possible quality, and then listen to any other pop music or pop pop song at the highest possible quality and listen to how much more dense a Sia song is. It's absolutely incredible.
0: I feel like you would probably have a similar experience with uh, some of Imogen Heap stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, Imogen Heap. I, I actually liked her quite a bit too as well. She's on, she's on my list. Um,
0: yeah, they're, they're very similar in style to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, it's, like a, if...
0: it's like a master craft in pop.
1: Yeah, exactly. They're almost like musicians, musicians, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So that's that's definitely been spinning around. Um, I also got into, well, not got into, but rediscovered Pulp um, because of our blur uh, conversation from last week. Uh, yeah. So those guys are awesome. I love Pulp.
0: Uh, Car- Carlos would be happy to hear that.
1: And I and I forget how much I liked them. Yeah. Um, and then I listened to, as I was driving home from work the other day, I listened to This Is Hardcore at the loudest volume I could in my car with the windows down. And I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you, that's, that's kind of a weird 15-year-old experience that I just had, at you know, post-35. So it's interesting.
0: And I don't know if I can even make a guess at how many times I've listened to Common People oh, and yeah. Disco 2000. Yeah, Those yeah, two songs just seem to, like, follow me for, like, decades. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that band.
1: Yeah, I love Pulp. and and I forget how, you know, it 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 goes back to the thing that I think we mentioned in the first podcast, which is, you know, for some of the bands that we liked, they were making music at our age, and so I think of of how dense our music would be if we were to have that level of of, of success, you know what I mean, and we could make whatever we want. Like it's it's interesting to 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 hear some of the language and to see some of the themes that 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 some of those, you know. Uh, iconic musicians approach their music with when they're not just writing songs to sell them, but they're writing songs that mean something to them. You know? Right.
0: I mean, isn't that the reason that everybody always talks about the first album? Oh, sure, sure. Because, you know, you don't know that it's going to be a success. These For most most people, the first album is music that they've been working on pretty much their whole life. Sure. Um, by the way, speaking of music and things that we always mention and bands we love, Radiohead. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Have you you listened to this week's um, Back to Work? I have not. In the last, I I think it's the last five minutes, last ten minutes, basically the exact same space that we're in in our own show right now, Mm -hmm. they mentioned not only for the first time, they mentioned the FBI versus uh, Apple, and they mentioned Radiohead.
1: Oh, I did hear this. Yeah, and, my, and I remember I was going to talk to you about that. I my mean,
0: instant reaction was, "We've been copying you. Now you guys are copying us."
1: Yeah, it seems like <laughs> it seems like we go back and forth with those guys. Like we're also talking a lot about personal assistants. They talked about geofences too. That was weird. Yep.
0: Um,
1: so I mean, yeah, there's a lot of odd parallels. I mean, obviously they've been doing this a lot longer than than we have, so they're crisper in a way. Yeah. Um, but they're, yeah, we, we, we it seems like I'm I, I don't know maybe we're we're all kind of on the same smart road, I suppose. We're trying to get smarter. And so in the process of doing so, we we rediscover certain things that we never gave enough credit. And we discover brand new things that will be spearheading the way into our futures. You know what I mean?
0: Exactly. The other show that I listen to that's very similar to our format and similar to Back to the Work is called Cortex. Oh, believe. Bu- I believe Cortex is a show that the guys at Back to Work listen to. So, like, Cortex is to Back to Work what Back to Work is to us. <laughs> <laughs> but I was listening to Cortex, and, you know, like, I'm familiar with their voices. And then the other day I was, like, looking for something in the App Store or something that directed me to something in the, in the iPhone App Store. And, you know, they all have these introductory videos. And yeah. all of a sudden I start watching this introductory video, and the narrator is one of the guys from Cortex.
1: Oh, wow, weird.
0: It was a strange moment where I was like, Oh, I guess maybe that's what he makes money doing in voiceover.
1: Yeah, it's like seeing Chris Hardwick do a, a commercial for Chrysler. That's really strange.
0: Did he do a commercial for Chrysler?
1: Yeah, I think he did. And I just you know, just or it was something. I don't I don't know if it was Chrysler, but he was in a suit and it was the weirdest thing to actually see him speak with a face, you know what I mean? Like it's pretty <laughs> odd.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't know what he looked like for probably like six months of, of listening to Nerdist and then I finally saw him, I'm like, Oh, he's not as nerdy looking as I thought he would be
1: yeah he's the mtv guy from the late 90s yeah with jim carthy yeah Yeah. you know what's funny is uh because of the mention of of you know the anthem albums are like the first albums um that most of the art these artists make i was i've been thinking about um you know artists that don't have just one album wonders and and bowie's back so that that's a mention
0: bowie's always back for me hey we had to bring we had to mention bowie today too
1: yeah 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 that's true but uh, I, I also have a particular love of of certain people like Trent Reznor, um, with Nine Inch Nails. I mean, I I think some of the more brilliant stuff is actually the later stuff. Uh, I agree. I agree. So yeah, fun. Uh,
0: for me, music actually this would be as of yesterday. Um, I was flipping through and um, because I canceled, like I said, I canceled Apple Music, so I still have iTunes Match, so I still had like some music on my phone and. I'm like, alright, what do I got? What am I gonna listen to? And I had um Odyssey and the Oracle by the Zombies. Yeah. And it's a great album. I mean, it's one of the great sixties albums, and once it gets to time of the season, everything the world just freezes because that song is so good. And it's so good I posted you know what's your uh Who's Your Daddy? You know, the Who's Your Daddy line, Is He Rich Like Me? Uh-huh. I posted that on to uh Facebook and got enormous amounts of of replies apparently everybody else knows how amazing that song is sure and uh amanda our friend amanda uh had mentioned we got into a conversation about like sexy songs i said that is a sexy song and then beast of burden by the stones is a, is a sexy song and then she said hypnotized by fleetwood mac
1: oh nice yeah
0: i'd never heard that song before really?
1: how did I you miss never. that one?
0: <laughs> i'd never heard pre stevie nicks lindsey buckingham fleetwood mac as far as i knew sure never heard it and so i checked out that song and i'm like that is an incredible song i love the drum beat and then i found you know because i was just i wanted to hear what the whole album sounds like i found it on youtube so i went through and I listened to it oh my god that album's incredible huh it's called mystery to me and I i don't think i've ever heard that album all the way through 1973 and I mean, it was so good. I listened to it one time through and I went on Amazon and I bought it on vinyl Interesting. and it's, it's coming like next week. And, Oh, there's, there's one song on there called the city. And it does something I've never, ever, ever heard anybody do in a song before. So a lot of times you have like, like slide guitar, slide guitar is usually used as lead lines. You know, you've got a rhythm over and under, over, under something and then your slide guitar is going over it. Well, sure. in this song city, the the slide guitar is the rhythm, and then there's this crazy wah wah guitar that's the lead over that.
1: Huh.
0: And there's these crazy squeals in the guitar, and it's just it's it's amazing. It's like the Allman Brothers had a baby with Stevie Wonder.
1: Wow, that's an interesting lead.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, there, there's no other way to describe it. Oh, that reminds me, going to write something down. Stevie Wonder, I'm naming the episode while we're live today. I'm going Robert Stack to Stevie Wonder.
1: Nice. Well, I've got a few weird ones for you in there too as well. I've been kind of going the opposite. I've been looking for music with content um, and kind of giving a lot of, of, of artists and songs, um, not not a, new, uh, not a new chance or anything like that, but just re-listening to, me, to them again with a different perspective. And the two that have, have really stuck out to me this week, Willie Nelson is amazing. Yes, I I am shocked at how little I appreciated Willie Nelson until this week, um, and the second is, dude, Tears for Fears is unbelievable. Um, in in their their, I, I never really I mean I I now it's really understand the people in the 80s who really who really gravitated towards them and who really saw them as the 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 the, the social pop culture leaders of the music world during that era. I now kind of get why.
0: Oh, and, the, and the engineering on on those albums is incredible too, just the, the, yeah. the way that uh, they, yeah. I mean it's one it's it, it's one guy making the music and one guy singing it's it's, it's the same formula as Wham, uh, Eurythmics, Limousines, you know all the way to now like but that oh you listen to that and it's like those guys what they were doing I mean like shout that song is so oh. perfect
1: yeah 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 yeah
0: and going back to Willie Nelson I mean the man he he's the man that wrote crazy for Patsy Cline Mm -hmm. the man can write a song like he wasn't him and Bob Dylan weren't taken as seriously at the time because they both had peculiar voices yeah but there's no doubt about their songwriting skills
1: well well even beyond the songwriting skills because there are plenty you know I go back to Radiohead when it comes to this um, but like even with Radiohead there are times where Tom York literally just throws lyrics in as throwaway lyrics to make them sound good Um, weird fishes comes to mind you know what I mean yeah but Willie Nelson, lyrics are unbelievable. I mean, they could be poems by themselves. I mean, if you just separated the music out and just looked at the lyrics for what they were, which is, this week was the first time I actually did that. And he is just, he's not just a good songwriter. He's just a good writer. You know yeah. what
0: I mean? Uh, angel flying too close to the ground.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: The Red Headed Stranger, the album, it's a story album. Yeah, Great absolutely. lyrics on that as well. There's yeah. There's actually, I don't know if you'll be able to find it, but there's actually a Willie Nelson tribute album from 1996 mm-hmm. called Twisted Willie.
1: No, I haven't seen that.
0: that is, I would say in that context, um, it's interesting to hear because for the first time I realized that by people covering a song, you could actually appreciate the craft of the song divorced from the personality of the person who was performing it originally and who wrote it. Mm -hmm. um and a lot of willie nelson songs that i know really well i actually heard for the first time on this album interesting so you've got uh, like there's johnny cash does something on there l7 is on there wow uh who else is on there presidents of the united states of america remember those guys oh yeah jerry cantrell does a song on there uh jello Biafra. reverend horton heat uh the band x
1: Wow, that is a diverse group of musicians.
0: And uh, as I mentioned, Angel Fine too close to the ground, Chris Christopherson and Kelly Deal.
1: That's random. Yeah.
0: So it's basically it's like uh, what was that? What was that country group that Willie was in with Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings and Chris Christopherson the yeah. Highwaymen. Yeah,
1: the Highwaymen, that's right. That's right.
0: So it's basically a bunch of 90s bands with the Highwaymen making an uh-huh. album of Willie's songs. And can't go wrong. I Man, so. I wish
1: I wish there was a way to play "Angel Flying Too Close to the Ground" um, during our podcast because that that's got to be one of the top five saddest songs of all time. Oh, <laughs> my God. That what song a, is, is devastating on so many levels. What
0: a great way to end it! It would be actually let's end it that way. Everybody, go to YouTube, type in Willie Nelson "Angel Flying Too Close to the Ground," close too close to the ground. <laughs> Hit play. Goodbye. <laughs>